I felt it was a fire episode, and I knew you were not going to turn on the fire. <laughs> Do you want me to turn on the fire? Uh, not in any serious way, no. There's, it, it's, it's dusty in the mailbag. Yes, yeah, so we're going to do a little bit of mailbag today. Yeah. But it's, it's a little... It, there are some cobwebs in there, people. Welcome back to the show, Joe. You, you people, Hi, Joe. People need, hello. People, people uh, should send us messages of various kinds. Got a lot of good feedback on the episode we did with Chris Elmendorf last, last time. We did? It's, it's about... Uh, yeah, I got some really good notes about it. But um, hmm. was it, has it been a week now since we talked to him? A week, a week and a day, something like that. I don't know when yeah, this episode is going to drop. Something like that. This, is, by the way, is our Thanksgiving episode. Oh, it is? Yeah. So I, I might try to drop this on like Monday or Tuesday, like to hit that travel thing. So if you're oh, traveling, okay. like this yeah, could be yeah, in your yeah. ears. And, and, or, you know, if you, if you sneak those earbuds in during, during Thanksgiving dinner, like I, mm. I don't advise it. I don't think that's necessarily great. But like, I, I don't know everyone's family situation. Right. Right. So just saying. And... Um, <laughs> You're just putting it out there. Yeah. You're just, you're just, you're just putting a, a, a feather in the wind. But I talked to listener Chris again, uh, and, you know, he's, he's in San Francisco, and they have uh, just all our listeners in San Francisco and California who are going through these terrible fires. I mean, mm. the schools out there have been closed for, in some places, for a week mm. or more, and um, there's a terrible kind of unfolding human tragedy out there with many yeah. lost lives, and uh, it, it's scary. It's a scary it's, yeah. world. Um, where this sort of thing is happening. So, um, anyway, I'm thinking about you, our California listeners, and hoping that things get better soon and then we get past this in a good way. I don't really know what to say. I mean, it's just, it's just horrible. Yeah. And even if you're just like dealing with the annoyances of like really bad air and smoke, I was, uh, I did spend a few weeks one summer teaching in China in Beijing where Mm. the air was like similarly bad but like because uh, for other reasons obviously because right. of all the coal-fired plants and other things uh, and it just is you know you had to wear masks some days and and that's sure. what people are all looking for masks out there now and it's just it's like it reminds you of how like it used to be mm. before the clean air act mm. and, or how it could have been had we not done something at the point right. that the clean air act was enacted. yeah the 70s were really an inflection point in terms of the clean air act and clean water act and the commitment to trying to ensure that various industrial practices and energy practices weren't a form of, you know, increasingly rapid suicide. Mm. Part of the tragedy is that we plainly lack the resolve uh, at this point to take a similarly uh, purposeful view about climate change. Right. Yeah. yeah. Take action. Um, Do the kinds of address things at the kind of scale that created the problem. Uh, because I think it will take things at the scale of the problem to solve the problem. The, it, it will take things at the scale that created the problem to solve the problem. Hmm. There, are, there are obviously small things we can all do as individuals, and it's good that we do. And uh, Yes, I mean, there still remains an individual ethic, but correct. it's a collective action problem right. writ large in the, with the largest possible collective action problem. And if all that ever happens is the individual people taking the small individual steps, the problem will not be solved. Right. It's yeah. My, it's my sense. I'm not a, you know, I'm a very much a lay observer. The really scary, you know, I, there's so many scary things about it. And I have so many thoughts. I mean, one of, one of them, thinking back to the 70s and the, and the 60s and 50s before kind of the major environmental acts, uh, many of which passed uh, under Nixon's signature. Mm-hmm. And yeah, there fact, was some, the EPA itself was created yeah. during the Nixon administration. Mm-hmm. Okay. 
and and I think NEPA and um, I, I forget when all of the acts passed, but there was uh, you know there was definitely there were there were rivers on fire, which led to public right. demand for the Clean Water Act. Um, I don't know the history of the Clean Air Act as well. I haven't actually taught environmental regulation. I've taught natural resources. Mm. And so I, I only have vague memories of, of how all these things, uh, when all these things passed. But, um, you know, the, the air was so dirty in L.A. I know there was demand for it, but it, it's interesting to think how our capacity to get used to bad situations is a danger to us. Mm. Because we could, it, things could be so much better, right? And, right. And, and so this unfolding kind of climate tragedy, like, will it be... Um, a series of highly punctuated, devastating events, or will it be a you know, or will it be some of those? But it will just be kind of a slow slide into a slightly more miserable existence that people get used to. Mm. And you know, the latter is kind of harder to organize people around, right? Um, you know, I mean, right now the state of California is on fire, and people are dying, and I mean, on you know, in large numbers, and properties being dis- destroyed in a large scale. And I've seen a lot of like especially California reporters suggesting that if this were happening on the East coast, there would be action already. You know, if this, if there were fires between DC and New York and uh, a thousand people missing and, you know, there's something about California's kind of displacement from the nation's capital and, and New York kind of a financial center. I don't, I don't know. Is the death toll above a hundred? The, the number of missing is that I saw yesterday. And so this is, so we're recording this on Saturday afternoon, November, what, what's the date, Joe? 17th. 17th, yeah. So I haven't looked recently, but um, it, it appeared there were like maybe a thousand people missing, or still mm. missing. You know, who knows how that's going to, you know, hopefully most of those people are just dis- temporarily displaced. Displaced, right, rather than confirmed. Uh, who knows if that's a total number. I, I just, a lot is unknown at this point. I mean, it, there are a lot of places which are still in quite a bit of chaos, obviously. Yeah. So I think the confirmed uh, dead are fewer than 100 in number. Yeah, I don't. I, At the I don't recall. I don't recall. So there's a, there's a certain danger in in getting used to a situation which could be a lot better, especially if that situation is miserable and where those miseries are, especially where those miseries are unequally allocated, and where they fall more heavily on people who can't speak as well for themselves, for example. Right. So I, boy, we're, it's depressing. <laughs> I you know I don't know what else to say. It's um. It's depressing. Yes. And it's been, you know, like I was telling you, uh, I think yesterday, it was like, you know, 20 years ago, I was, as a, as a grad student environmental activist, I was writing op-eds about, uh, to our local paper and talking to people about climate change um, and how the weather that summer where I was was a dramatic preview of what could happen. At that point, you couldn't say any particular event was due to climate change. And it's still hard to make the causal point with any single event indeed but it was so you know at that point we were fighting against uh the gingrich congress's i think gag rule on epa and maybe other agencies i don't recall the details at that point of of even talking about climate change like you couldn't you couldn't use the word global warming i mean you couldn't they you couldn't use any monies to fund any studies about it and it's just like this intentional act of like closing our eyes to the problem was it just felt suicidal and well, here we are. Okay, then. Happy Thanksgiving, everyone. <laughs> uh, uh, ah, I, oh, I, I, so I made some notes. Okay. What are your because notes? Because I wanted to go through the feedback and everything. And my first one was just to say something about the California fires because, you know, so that's... Okay. 
And then it got off onto this tangent because I just can't stop thinking about how we, you know, we got to do something or we're all going to suffer tremendously. So like we got to do something <laughs> like even as we get engaged in, in the day to day um, indignities and inanity of the Oval Office and crazy things that various Congress critters are saying and our local state, you know, all these things are like important, uh, or at least many of these things involve important issues. Whether the census includes this ridiculous question about, right? you know, the, that's, that's an important issue, right? But like, sure. while we're spending all of our time like it shouldn't be a hard issue though. You shouldn't, you should try to count the number of people, right? Yeah. <laughs> you should try to count the number of people. So, uh, so it shouldn't be hard, but while we're debating all of these things, it's like, you know, the ice is still melting. That like doesn't, you know, the, the earth doesn't care that we're diverted with other problems. It's infuriating. Okay. So I'm going to stop being infuriated okay. and we're going to move on to other things. I, I don't have my glasses on. Mm. And so I can't see your facial expression. So I can't tell whether you are annoyed. I'm not annoyed at um, all. Or, I am behind this uh, pop filter, so yes. I would imagine that much of my face is obscured, mm-hmm. so that even if you were wearing your glasses, there's not much of my face you would see. Mm-hmm. Uh, quite apart from that, I'm not annoyed in the slightest. Okay. I find being with you a, a pleasure, and oh. our conversation's a delight. Well, that's... I, I you feel like the to portray to the people that I'm forever annoyed with you. Um <laughs> And you like to portray to the people that I'm the one who interrupts constantly, which is false. Oh my! But uh, I enjoy being with you tremendously. All I all I was trying to say is that I think you interrupt more than you realize. We all do. I'm that's, sure that's it's the yes. nature of conversation. Indeed, undoubtedly the case. And I think it makes the show better. Like you know, if, if we were a little bit more polite, I don't think it would be as good. Yeah, our look, passions run high here at Oral Argument Headquarters. <laughs> we're we're in the thick of it. Right, we're really engaged with what we're talking about which is why we do it in an animated way right it's a sign that we really are sort of rolling up our proverbial conversational sleeves and getting in the thick of it and i said polite like i think you know it's only it's only impolite to interrupt depending uh, depending on the norms of the particular conversation yeah and think, we have a certain norm here and, and the, i think a better uh, a more apt term for what we are not Ooh. Uh, and and what it would be sad if we were to be um, is you know overly decorous if we were Ooh. trying to be scrupulously polite mm-hmm. uh, rather than simply conversationally friendly and polite. Right. There's a politeness that drains all the warmth out of a conversation, and that would be sad if we were doing that, wouldn't it? Yeah. No, I think so. I think, and, and who knows how how fine the line is between overly polite and savage that's where that's where we try to be though right so for those who hunger for a decorous conversation i say bleep that bleep (laughs) and see that way you don't need to put it in the bleeps and uh you know we're here to we're here to have a conversation should we unzip the mailbag sure open this up it's actually i'm just saying look for you know shake it for spiders man (laughs) there's not much in there i when i think of the mailbag i say mailbag i get a mental limit I get a mental image. And, well, first of all, what is yours? I have an answer. When, when you say mailbag, do you get a mental image? Do you actually picture a bag? What, what's going on in, yeah, the, in, the, in the head of Yeah, the big canvas bag with the U.S. mail on the Ooh. side of it. It's sort of a dirty, white, big canvas bag. Uh, dirty from use. Dirty from, from functionality. Yeah. Um, I like bi- it. You know, a big stenciled U.S. mail 
painted on the side of it eons ago. Is it barely always, legible? <laughs> is it always the same bag? I mean, or, or it, it, it just yeah. gets dumped off. Like it's a different bag. It just gets dumped off with us every now and then. Well, and, they, they of course there are bajillions of these U.S. mail bags that are that were made at a certain period in time. They all look quite alike. The, I'm remembering them. They they were a fixture at at the at St. John's, and you you could see. They'd have back in the mail room, they'd be sorting things from these bags and putting things in. And then we would, you know, we had this little student newspaper and we would send out a copy. We had some subscribers, uh, Hither mm-hmm. and Jan, and we would send out, you know, in this canvas bag, we would uh, put a pack of these things. And so I, you know, yeah, I have this very specific mail bag in my mind. I wonder if they still have those. It sounds a little Indiana Jones. It does. Yeah. It does. You can, you can imagine the warehouse full of like some ba- back in there somewhere. Uh, is the Ark of the Covenant. But, yeah. Um, Boy, the mail is amazing when you think about it. It's incredible. It's, it's such a democratizing... The notion that you could you could put a, this piece of paper folded in an envelope and write an address on the front of it and put on a little piece of, you know, sticky paper yeah, and have that thing go from, you know, uh, Honolulu to Holton, Maine... Um, is amazing. It's a triumph of a kind of like fine physical and organizational effort uh, and physical organization, I guess is really what I mean that we increasingly have replaced with software. Right. And, and so, yes. you know, I'm th- things like card catalogs, um, very complicated filing systems and very various offices. Like right. there, there had to be the, like this rigid adherence to an organizational form that people just assume they would have to figure out in any new setting, right? And 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 the mail seems to me one of the maybe ultimate expressions of this like physical organization um, necessary to kind of make to present like a nice user interface in the end, right? Like my yeah. interface is the mailbox. I drop a letter in there. I wait. Other letters appear, <laughs> right? And and behind it, right? In fact, where I grew up, well, in the city where near where I grew up, Columbia, South Carolina, there was this post office that had it looked like um it was kind of like an iceberg like it had this like building at the top but if you went to the side you could see all the you could you could see like the basement below and i don't remember how many floors there were i just have in my mind i remember you know all the trucks pulled up to it and Mm. all the busyness seems to in and yet at the top so it was quite a hub yeah i mean probably every city had a similar sized um sure every every city of similar size had a similar size kind of thing but like the post office was an important thing and it was a very important building Um, but but I'm just thinking about it now that that it, its physical architectural form kind of mirrored that kind of like organiz, organizational requirement, right? That it had this like iceberg like you know uh, top that poked above the streetscape that mm. was look, that looked like a you know it was a it was a I don't know if you would consider it pretty now maybe you know maybe it was brutalist I don't really remember exactly but it had a you know it, it was meant to be aesthetically um, pleasing. For the time, right? But then you can see below if you drove around kind of the other way, and you would see all the guts of this thing and what exactly what it required—the yeah. complexity of it, right? The complexity is what was hidden from the tree. And because it's managing all that flow, yeah. and and the of course the the mail system that we experienced as kids and that exists now, uh, you know, the there was a complex system of of mail in in Rome in the Roman mm-hmm. Republic. Uh, so this is a thing we've been organizing. People have been organizing for a few thousand years. Um, is how Ameri- to get information yeah. flows to um, 
now, of course, the number of people who were using it, the expense of using it, all these things change dramatically at a given time in a given place. But the the power of it as a system, the mm-hmm. value of it as a flow of information and all the things that those information flows facilitate yeah. in terms of personal relationships and commercial activity and uh, political knowledge. And, and it's just kind of amazing. Yeah, I'm trying to think of other similar systems, maybe like air traffic control, the interstate highway system. Um, you know, there are other physical systems that had to be organized and they were organized in what you would think about maybe now is kind of a brute way. Like it was a bunch of people coming together and agreeing about how they would do things. It wasn't you know, right. one design team putting stuff into code that then no one else ever had to think about again. You know, a lot of people had to conform to the to the physical organization necessary to accomplish these yeah, things. It'd be interesting to know the history of it. Like how, you know, what did we, how many lessons learned were there already when we're, we're sort of setting up um, and you sort of imagine the, 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 the Ben Franklin's and the, and the Thomas Jefferson's and the whatnots, right. Um, you know, having opinions about how to set up an effective postal service and we, you know, what lessons from Germany and France and England and et cetera, were they aware of and mm-hmm. were they trying to implement like, Oh, they really messed it up over in the Netherlands like this. So let's not do that. But the other thing they did really great in Italy was this. So let's do that. And you know, it'd be fun to know all that history. I don't know it at all. There's also, I, but I guess yeah. it's th- my guess is it's there. I, I assume, I, yeah. This, is, this seems like, you know, something to have uh, Marissa Broderon on about, right? <laughs> <laughs> no, that's banking. That's, uh, that's No, but she did the postal banking, right? I mean, I think... Yeah, postal banking. Sh- yeah, yeah. So, so, she, so the, the, the fact that the... US she wanted to be service. the postmaster general, remember? Hmm? Remember she said she would like to be the postmaster general? Oh, I didn't. I don't remember that, but yeah. that's great. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, the postal service as a foundational uh, infrastructure here in the United States. Yeah, I think she's very savvy about all that. But I'm talking about the history of, of before 17 postal systems. Yeah. yeah. And I, I wonder too, and so, you know, part of it is just how do you make that work? You know, the travel and point to point delivery of things. And, but there's also this this idea of trying to create a simple physical interface for people to a very complex system. And there's mm. something like really deeply human about that. Just think about the design of of furniture, right? With like you know where, where a lot of complexity can be hidden, like underneath the I don't know behind the cushions or in the frame of the thing. And there, you know, I, I'm trying to think of all the different ways of. Uh, before computers that people worked hard to design complicated mechanical things that presented simple user interfaces. And probably even when you go to the ancients, right, there are probably designs that similarly hide complexity. Instead of stumbling into a Roman Mars kind of, a Roman Mars-esque 99% invisible sideways episode here. Oh, if we could. Hmm? If if we could. Uh, Right, if only we could. I mean, yeah, yeah, it's... uh, Ours is more like maybe 72% visible or something like that. (laughs) (laughs) I, I, I'd take a C on a Roman Mars scale. Um, but, oh, so Mary Beard, she's the one who wrote the, uh, um, the historian who's written a lot of great stuff about Rome. Right? The SPQR and, and other thing and other things too. I think right. Yes, and very much a fixture on the BBC. Yeah, so I was going to say for our listeners in the UK. Yeah, I got a, I got a great recommendation. I think on came on, on Twitter. I forget who, who it was. To, I think it's on Amazon Prime now. If you're a U.S. person, maybe even if you're not, I don't know. Uh, mm. th- there's a four-part BBC series on Rome that someone said was excellent. 
I think it was someone in my Law Prof Twitter feed. Oh, and was it narrated by Mary Beard, or was she interviewed? She's, I think she, it's her series. I haven't oh. seen it yet. So I, I literally just saw That's this today, great. and I'm thinking, maybe, you know, maybe this week when my son is back in town, my daughter's here, maybe we can watch that together. It could be cool. That'd be, yeah, that'd be very interesting. So Another uh, thing you might stream, yeah. in, uh, on Netflix, uh, they have just released a new, I think a six-episode um, documentary series called Dogs. And oh, is that out now? A bunch of stories of people and their dogs. Mm-hmm. I saw this mentioned. This floated by my vision on Twitter this week. Mentioned yeah, what, dogs. What was, I saw something similar on uh, not 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 uh, a similar series, but someone had a neat post about how like the best thing would be a zoo, but just dogs. <laughs> 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 the best kind of zoo is a zoo with just dogs. Uh, and you realize dogs are all wandering around saying to each other that it is so fun they all get to live in this zoo full of humans. Mm, probably. Maybe, maybe I'm, this is sticking in my mind because I'm mourning Darth's kind of annual disappearance from Twitter. Mm. He'll be back, though. Or she. I don't know. We'll be back. Um, where are we going to go from here? I, th- I don't know. You're looking at your notes. To... Yeah, I do have a few. So why don't we just, you know, just go through these? I'll take these out of order. I'm okay. You, you're, it's, a, it's your show. All right. Um, let me, how about a quick hit first? If we what? How about a quick hit first? You want a quick hit? A quick hit? Yeah. Just boom. Just a quick fe- bit of feedback. Just a quick boom. Okay. Just, just an acknowledgement. Uh, again, I think I think this person on Twitter, but listener Sancho corrected us because when we first put out our oh, Sandy the, Mason, the great yeah. show with Sandy Mason, somehow I would like to blame autocorrect, but I could it could have just been my own mind and fingers on autopilot. But um, her last name is spelled M A Y S O N, not M A S O N, and yeah, and and we you, corrected you, that very quickly because mm. of the quick action of listener Sancho. So thank you for that. Yeah, and uh, yeah, you spelled it like the there was a famous actor with the name Mason, uh, the family name Mason. I don't remember mm. his Charles Mason. Also a famous jar. It's a Mason jar. That's correct. Mm-hmm. Uh, the Mason jar. That's M-A-S-O-N, not M-A-Y-S-O-N. Right. So um, we, it takes a village. It takes an entire listener base to, to maybe get rid of 50% of our errors. So there you go. Uh, I've got, so there's another bit of feedback we had. Let's, uh, let me do this one first. Let me do this one first. Okay. Listener Amble. Oh. This is going to be about coffee. Oh, was that email from Listener Amble? Yeah. I, I just said, listen, ramble. I did not notice that that's who had sent it. Are you, are you ready for this? I am. Um, and then I'm going to tell you a funny little story. Oh, great. So this is a great Thanksgiving episode, isn't it? I, I feel guess. like you can just put this one on, just listen along. You're like, what are these guys? What's their point? What are they getting to? We're not. We don't yeah. have one. We may talk about, I've got a few other things. So we're going to talk about some serious, but this is just fun. Yeah. Just fun. Relax. It doesn't have to be about everything all the time. Indeed. Okay. So, uh, listener Amble sent a note about coffee and how he himself kind of longed for what he described as two stories heyday. Now, two story coffee house, of course, is uh, the local coffee house which made fantastic coffee early on, like before you could get really, really good coffee, even in many large cities which are now known for their coffee. Mm. And it was a 10 minute walk from my house. Yeah. I lived there. They printed out a receipt for me at one point, which stretched like through the whole store. Like, <laughs> I, I, and they were like great people. We had a few of the baristas live with us, you know, over the period of time that they were open. Um, so, and just I, to stress again, a very basic, like it was delicious coffee. It was fantastic coffee, and they just had a string of like really great people working there. I met some of my best friends there, and and they took they took it all away from me. It's gone, mm. and there's a hole in my heart which has not been replaced. Mm-hmm. 
in, in any way. And, and oftentimes I'm like sitting around my house. I'm like, what, what am I supposed to, where do I go? Like, what am I supposed to do? I don't know what to do with myself. And it's been, what has it been two years now or one year? More like one year and a half, maybe. Yeah. I just seem like everything went to pot all at the same time, to be honest with you, Joe. Um, <laughs> but he said he, he found himself longing for two stories. Heyday. Mm. And I think so. Heyday. This is, this is an aside. This was not, listener amble's point ah. but he included the phrase heyday okay which actually is a word it, it, the correct spelling i think is h-e-y-d-a-y um and i got to wondering about the origins of this word Ooh. heyday because i think listener amble had spelled it and, and maybe i had in my head too like h-a-y-d-a-y two separate like words. the day that you make yeah, hay. yeah it's like you know heyday it's like a fun day or like a, or it's the but instead it's like a hello it's day the pinnacle it's it's kind of the fun pinnacle of a certain time like, it's like the, it's like, it, it, in my mind, it, it, it calls forth, like, hearkening back to a time which was great, but in a fun way. Yeah. Right? Um, maybe not. I mean, there, you can use it in other ways, but, um, but it has nothing to do with hay. Because it's not spelled H-A-Y, it's spelled yeah. H-E-Y. Yeah. Yeah. Did you, you, did you knew that? I mean, I guess I would have known that. I knew that was the proper spelling. I know nothing about the, the I know none of its philology. Hmm. Well, I guess we'll just go on. Okay. I, I, uh, you think maybe, hey, if you're going to bring that up, you must have looked it up and you're going to inform us and everything. Nope. <laughs> I just thought I would mention that because I, I was uh, uh, getting this together right before we recorded. And Nice. Yeah, there you go. So did you not actually look I did look it up. It I don't all? remember. It, it, it wasn't, uh, I, I didn't actually look up the, the full kind of etymology of it. I, but I oh, that's at, it. Etymolo- etymological, not philological. Right. What, what is philology? Oh, that's the love of philosophy, Joe. No, no. The love of philosophy is uh, philophilo. Yeah, philophilosophy. <laughs> um, Etymology, of course, is the study of insects. No, I think you're thinking of entomology. Mm, I think that's, isn't that the love of some kind of medical procedure? No, I think you're thinking of the love of pastries. Ooh, no, that's philophilo. That's, no, that's entomology. Ooh. Um, so, Entmans, isn't that a kind of candy? <laughs> or is that... <laughs> No, that's stuff from Lord of the Rings. So here's the thing. Okay. Um, I think that there is a word, philology, which is related to entomology. Excuse me. Now you've got me doing it. Is related to (laughs) etymology. And etymology is like the, the historical origin of a word. Right. But I think philology is this sort of a, a study of words and meanings over time. Oh. But I don't know how it relates to etymology. So I really must insist that you use your magical device to give us some information about this in real time. Okay. Okay. Um, well, so if, so if you type it into the Google okay. or the DuckDuckGo. Which, which, I use DuckDuckGo. Do you use DuckDuckGo or n- Google? No, I have no idea what you're talking about. Okay. Which, which thing did you type in? Heyday. Okay. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I was hoping you were going to type in philology, but... I, I'll do that too, but that's the study of blood. Um, what? Philology yeah. is not the study of love. No, blood. I said blood, Joe. Oh, blood. Yeah. That's, um, that may be phlebotomy. That's the, that's the, uh, the taking of blood. Hmm. The drawing of blood out of the body is phlebotomy. So as an ex, so it's late dates from the late 16th century. What does? 
heyday. Oh. An exclamation of playfulness, cheerfulness, or surprise, something like modern English, English hurrah. Uh, um, that, that was uh, the word heyda, H-E-Y-D-A, hmm. which dates to the 1520s. Um, apparently, it's an extended form of the Middle English interjection hey, or H-E-I. Compare the Dutch heydar, German heyda, Danish. Everybody's got this word. What they're saying is everybody's got this word. So it's like huzzah. I guess so. Yeah. But how did it become a word meaning the, uh, you know, the, the period of max, uh, you know, max fun? I don't, I'd have to look into this more and that might be boring okay. to, you know, for people to type in. Can we into. at least get a little more insight on etymology and philology? All right. Philology. I'm, I'm you know, really need some help here. So uh, philology is the study of language and oral and written historical sources. It is the intersection between textual criticism, literary criticism, history, and linguistics. Ooh. No wonder I know that word. That's like so all my, that is my sweet spot. It's, it's the study. Why of li- am I not a philologist? The study of literary texts. So, you know, etymology is about words. Historical origin of specific words. Yes. And, and philology is the study of texts. That's the way I would say it. Okay. Why is philately the collection of stamps? That's numismatics. Oh, what's philately? The collection of coins? This is, this is our best episode ever. <laughs> Philately is something. It it has taken us nearly five years to get to this. (laughs) (laughs) I I take your point. Numismatics is something. You say stamps. But is philately coins? I I have no idea. I I don't know. I mean, this is the kind of thing. Can you look up up etymology while I look up philately? Let's just do, we just got these two more, and then we can go back to the story about two story. Do you know how boring it is to listen to a podcast of people looking up stuff on phones? I do not care. Please look up etymology while I look up philately, and then we'll go back to the story about tooth story. We're doing this. It's horrible enough when people do phone stuff in real life. You are and this so is like you're making it worse. It's the study of the history of words. That's all. Philately is the collection and study of stamps. Okay. So okay. numismatics is coin. So I was correct to call stamps philately. You corrected me incorrectly. I, Let's go back to two story. I think even listener Amble has now turned off the show. <laughs> he must be, his cheeks must be burning with rage at having <laughs> touched off this diversion. Uh, I blame you, Amble. So, so first question, does Christian frequent any Athens coffee places or does he just <laughs> brew at home? And the answer is there are some good coffee places. There is Thousand Faces. Um, which is good. There's this new place, Bouvet, which is also good. You know, Thousand Faces is well known. They make they True. roast a coffee. You know, well known locally. Yeah. Uh, they supply a bunch of places. They make good coffee. Uh, it, it's reliably good. It just happens to be. You know, I can't walk to it reasonably. Right. I could ride my bike to it. It's a you know, it's a couple miles or so. Uh, so I don't hang out. I don't hang out there on a semi, you know, daily basis or anything like that. Um, so you know, I I mainly brew at home. Mm. And I've got like a little espresso maker. You do have a very nice machine now. Yeah, I would. It, it's like it's um, you know, it's not one of these like thousand dollar no prosumer kind of things, but it, no, it's, but it's, it's good. And 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 it's also like it. Some of these like really fancy home machines work kind of like coffee shop machines. They need mm. to warm up for like half an hour or more, oh and they use a lot of energy. And right, this one you hit a button, it's kind of warmed up. It has some pressure. I can. Kind of make latte art with it if I really try. I'm not very good at that, but mm. I can at least get the milk kind of right, and it makes good espresso shots. So, nice, you know. But it's not the same. That's not a coffee shop. Isn't more than the coffee. That's true. Hmm. 
So would you like to hear my two-story story, or is there more from Listener Amber? There's more. Okay. So he also noticed that when he's traveling mm. and looking for good coffee, and he gets on, like, Yelp or something else, that the reviews are unreliable. Oh. You know, because someone's idea of, like, greatest coffee shop in town, like, you know, maybe they're more of a Starbucks person or something. Like, you don't... Not that, not that there's anything wrong with that, but it's a different kind of coffee, right? I mean, right. it's just like people can people uh, <clears throat> the coffee shop category. It you know people are looking for very different things, right? <clears throat> there are lots of views about what makes for a good coffee shop. So yeah, if you got a bunch of reviews saying best coffee in town, it may just be that suit people who have that taste. And if you're looking for you know more like third wave coffee or something, it may not be to your taste. Yeah. Um, I myself, I can always, I can enjoy coffee wherever, even if it's from a gas station, I'll, I'll drink it. Right. And it delivers, it delivers the goods, but I also really like good coffee. Yeah. So he says he looks for key phrases Ooh. trying to figure it out. Like, um, but he says even phrases like third wave and gets beans from a great roaster fail to ensure fresh non-burned great coffee. Mm. He says the best single indicator I've found for good coffee so far is whether the website or Google maps entry has a photograph with a pour over setup. Okay. He says, what is y'all's strategy for finding good coffee when you're traveling in a new place? And I have an answer for this. I'm do you, del- what, what do you do, Joe? What do you do when you need... Abandon to- hope. <laughs> but <laughs> I find it's best to have absolutely no expectations. Didn't you, didn't you travel to Chicago this year at some point? I, I think I was in Chicago at some point this year. Maybe it was last fall, though. It might have been right over the winter okay. holiday. You went at some point to Chicago. So, so <clears throat> my point is that you have done some travel, which is to places where you would expect there certainly will be a good coffee shop. You just need to find it. The problem is finding it. You know, for every good coffee shop, there might be three or four of which have, you know, a little bit more ordinary coffee. Right. And I will say it is, it is rare that I would be traveling domestically. Uh, and where I would go out of my way, invest a real bit of time in finding a good coffee shop as the destination I am trying to reach for that purpose alone. Hmm. Rather, I would think, okay, I need caffeine delivery devices on the following schedule. Where can I do that in the way that is not going to hopelessly and needlessly disrupt the other things I'm trying to do? Yeah, I, I, I don't do that. Okay. Um... Although I will have coffee. As have, I said. I'll have coffee in the hotel. As I, I said, yeah. my approach is abandon hope. <laughs> now, it, you can find, like there was, a, there was a coffee place I really grew to love in Oxford, England, when I was there in the spring of 2013. Ooh, fancy for, boy. For some months, right? Fancy man over here. And that was Cafe Nero, and there were a number of those around town. You sound like Tahani from The Good Place. You know, when I, she when is, I was in Oxford, I she did She is so beautiful. So. Tahani is beautiful, so thank you. <laughs> For comparing well, me to her. I did say you sound like. <laughs> uh, she sounds beautiful. Uh-huh. Um, so I'm just going to take it as a compliment. Mm-hmm. Uh, what, what, do you do when you, what do you do when you're in Monte Carlo? The Joe? contrast I was trying to draw was, yeah. as I said, traveling domestically versus I'm in this place abroad and it's fun and it's interesting and it's exciting and... So it just feels like more of coffee as a destination just kind of fits better with the fun travel Throw idea. Throw in some shade on the United States. <laughs> wow. Okay. Uh, you're determined to misunderstand. I think that's really fun. Uh, there, there, is a, there is a sense in which you could take that, you know. 
I mean, you're, you're overseas, it's fun and everything. Domestic, just give me the coffee. Just give me well, the caffeine. But, but domestic travel for me is often related it's to... It's often utilitarian. Yeah, it's yeah. often I'm going to, because I'm, I'm going to a conference and it happens to be in a particular city. And if it had been in another city, I would have gone to that other city because I'm trying to go to that conference. I'm not trying to go to the, that place. Right. So, you no, know, if it. I'm driving between A and B and I need to get to B and there's, I need coffee on the way, it's like, like you said, if it... If the place, the only place that were available was a little gas station, quickie mart, whatever mart, yeah, you, you would do. do it. You, yeah, that's what you could yeah. get. That might be what you take. Yeah, I would too. I do that too. But when I go to a new place, it doesn't really matter where it is. Even if we're like on the on the interstate and we're traveling as a family, like I'll look up coffee. Usually, here's what I do. I I, I usually search in Yelp. You're a big Yelper. You're a big Yelp well, user. I, I don't go to those recommendation things. I don't have those apps on my phone. I mm. never look at that stuff ever. Why? I don't know. Huh. I, I find it really useful because you can search in the map area, right? You can search for a particular kind of restaurant in the map area. I do see that on Google Maps. I see like they, it, like yeah. Google will give you like a little star. I don't know what their information base for that is, but... Yeah, I don't know where all they draw either, if it's just Google users or what, but, but that, that works well too. And there are some places where where there are almost no Yelp reviews and there are a bunch of Google reviews and vice versa. Now, you can't trust the reviews necessarily because, you know... As Amble was saying. Yeah, restaurants can be kind of squirrely and sometimes, you know, the reviews aren't what they appear to be. So right. you look for places with lots of reviews and you can kind of go based on that. But for coffee places, Yelp works well because you can look at the pictures. Mm, right. And for me, so kind of, he says he looks for a pour-over setup. I usually look just to see for a picture of like a cappuccino. Mm just to see is there latte art now ah. th- and this is this is a this is just a filter so i'm not saying that just because you can do latte art you make good coffee right you're far from it you can you can make really good latte art and still the coffee's terrible that can happen right but you, you know if they if you see a picture of a cappuccino and it's like a bunch of foam on the top and there's and there's no you know that's probably not going to be you know all things being equal i'd rather go somewhere else mm. so that's usually what i do and I, you know, they're only, you know, depending on the size of the town, maybe there are only a few places that kind of pass that filter. Maybe I'll try one of them okay. or two of them or three of them. See what I think. Neat. So that's what I do. Okay. Does that make sense to you, Joe? Makes a lot of sense. Even someone as uh, condemnable for my haughtiness <laughs> as I am can understand what you're saying. <laughs> it's interesting that, that, uh, that Amble and I have kind of, fixed on the same strategy, right? Which is like, here's this thing which is kind of a sign that would be exhibited by a good coffee shop. Yeah, and you happen to, di- you differ on the sign itself, right. but you but your strategy is quite the same. Yeah, I don't even know if we differ. Like, I'd never thought to do it that way. But... So that's another thing you could look for, and, that's another, and you've given him a thing he could look for. Good point, Jim. We have an anonymous listener. Oh. Who, in an otherwise supportive email... An otherwise supportive email. Are you ready for this? Yes. Takes two issues with the show that we did. Well, there were two shows that we did. I, I think it was two shows. Like one of them was the one with Ian Samuel about um, our, our discussion of the Dark Knight. Mm. Um, and, and the other was our discussion of Apple. Mm-hmm. And I think we were talking about like what was the best iPhone. And, that, and we had a discussion about like what was interesting about the Apple story, especially for me between 1998 and about 2010. I'm not going to rehash all that. Other than, you know, this emailer was like, he finds something like distasteful about like grown people 
talking about their phones and stuff. And I, I don't want to get back into it, but I get it. I get it. We highlighted, you know, when we talked about that stuff and you can skip it if you don't like it. But um, I, I think in there we talked about like why we talked about that. Do you remember this conversation? I do remember it. I don't remember us talking about why we were talking about it. I do remember this anonymous emailers uh, taking us to task a bit for discussing what we discussed and not talking about, and perhaps because it might conflict with other values this person either imagines us to have or has heard us reporting having uh, about their terrible labor practices in China and other similar problems uh, that Apple has in common, one must say, with other uh, consumer electronics uh, companies. But um, I, and I would, well, so I, I don't want to go too far into this. If you're interested in this, you can like find news stories and, and see what Apple's done in this regard. Actually, I think Apple has a pretty good record with trying to do a lot in this space with labor and environment. Most of this um, started, I think, after Tim Cook took over, but, um, mm. you know, there's, for for one of the biggest manufacturers of the stuff in the world, they're, compared to other manufacturers, they're, there's a lot you could criticize, I'm sure, but they've done a lot. But I don't want to get into it. I'm not okay. gonna, I don't. I have no interest in defending. I don't. I don't care about defending the company, right? I just thought it would, there there was something super interesting about a certain period of of innovation that you know, having lived through the '90s, was different. And we talked about that. Yes. So, anyway. You know, it's, if it doesn't float your boat, I don't care. I don't, it doesn't. Like I'm not going to get. But use what you want. I don't care. I'm not going to get bent out of shape. Okay. Uh, but the iPhone 5, in particular the 5S, was the best iPhone. Okay. So, The Dark Knight, apparently, according to this emailer, is bad. It's a bad movie. A terrible movie. It uh, has dumb ideas, and it's poorly edited and shot. And we are... Um, we are... Uh, it, it calls into question our taste and intelligence. Although, you know, the, as the emailer points out, one can be... Uh, clever and and intelligent in one area and and have um kind of dumb opinions in others and that's just the way human beings are and and that that last point that is certainly true um i am the first person to say and i don't think you would say this of yourself but i will say it of myself um that my taste in movies and note my use of the word movies and not film (laughs) uh my taste in movies is utterly pedestrian if not you know absolutely philistine Mm -hmm. and i love you know conventional big american movies i see i see them i enjoy them i also see lots of other kinds of movies over time and have enjoyed all sorts of movies and enjoyed even things you could call films when my family has made you (laughs) that's not true um and uh but so so, um i am not a particular fan of the the i'm not a particular fan of the the overall set of batman movies of which the dark knight is a set of entries right um batman's been done terribly badly um as well as much much better within the sort of set of batman things um but you know i, I wouldn't have put that on a list of my favorite movies from any given period of time in all likelihood i do think heath ledger's performance as a joker was staggeringly good and this person might disagree with that that's fine um yeah he's Jay just gustavus etc the, the emailer is just wrong about the qualities oh. of this movie. <laughs> like, the dark, about what the, the, about the qualities of this particular film the dark knight is a great film it, it is extremely well done 
it is uh, it tells a story in several different ways in parallel at the same time that is more than the sum of its parts. And that performance isn't singular. It doesn't stand apart from the movie. It is like it, it is the beating heart of the movie, you know, from the very first note of that movie, the, um, you know, the soundtrack, there's this like, there's this kind of discordant string that just sounds like nihilism. I mean, the, the sound is nihilism. And the movie starts off with this bank heist, which is this totally like, you know, and the whole movie is an exploration of this. Now you can say it's amateurish or it's, or it's like not deep enough. And like, so I think part of like appreciating, I love great, he, he mentions, uh, Michael Mann, movies of the 2000s of which i i do like many of those and, and michael mann's movies in the in the 90s like, and i don't even know I, I don't even have an association with the name michael mann like, well michael what, mann he he was what he, movies he did those? he did miami vice like way back in the day ah. but then became uh um a, a kind of i don't want to say more serious because like Mike, miami vice was a great show in the 80s but he became a you know a, a more well known for some very serious films including heat and the insider in the 90s mm. which were both fantastic um, and then in the 2000s, he did a number of other movies. Uh, I forget. I don't have them all in front of me right now. But at the end of the 2000s was Miami Vice, the movie. And he just had a number of, like, really good... I love his films. Um, I forget when Red... Not Red Dragon. It was called Manhunter. It was one of the first... Uh, what was the what was that series with the... Um, uh, Silence of the Lambs um, and Red Dragon. You know, the ones with Anthony Hopkins where he's the... Yeah. They, what's the name of that villain? Hannibal Lecter. Yeah, Hannibal a, Lecter series. Central yeah. villain. But but Michael Mann directed one of the first of these, and I, I feel like it was the late 80s, and I feel like it was called Manhunter. Mm. And I saw that before I really appreciated... I think that was... I'm Okay, maybe I should look this up, but I'm almost 100% sure that was a Michael Mann movie. I thought it was great. So I, I appreciate Michael Mann. I appreciate, as you know, Joe, like lots of movies that a lot of other people don't like. Um, some of them are like art house fair some of them are not like you know but that kind of taste for certain kinds of like exploratory filmmaking also it doesn't dissuade me from appreciating what's awesome about a movie that a lot of other people happen to like and the fact that this movie was like really popular and is a superhero movie and i have to say generally like i don't i don't i'll get dragged to the theater to see like the avengers and stuff like that i'm never where they these there where there are these kind of predictable story beats and stuff and like big budget action sequences, which are like a bunch of plastic action figures being smashed against each other and stuff blows up. Like I, I just don't get into it. Mm-hmm. There's some that I appreciate as kind of popcorn fare. Like I liked, um, the black Panther movie. Yes. Was really good. I thought it was quite, it good. was just, it was super fun, right? Quite and enjoyable. Yeah. Really enjoyable. So I, I I'm able to enjoy some of those, but right. like, it's not what I would seek out to watch if I weren't, you know, with other people who wanted to watch them. And it's, it's, it's funny for me because they're, it takes a lot for me to see a movie like the, of course there are some movies I simply wouldn't go see because I would think they were like not at all enjoyable mm-hmm. um but um I've seen a lot of things that I was sort of taking a whirl on it yeah. and I enjoyed virtually all of them to some degree and so my 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 the way I approach movies is quite different from the way I approach let's say reading a nonfiction book like if i pick up a nonfiction book first of all i I really need to think it's going to go well to even begin to read it and if i start reading it and i I give it a few pages and it's not going well i don't i don't freaking read it Hmm. uh, because i've got to like (laughs) it's too much reading is too scarce for me i can't i just can't do it right? right 
So I don't, and I don't want to. You're not going to finish it in two hours. Yeah. So my tastes are very, I'm very discriminating in what I will and will not read. Um, movies, pff, I, I mean, I will watch something pretty bad um, once uh, and find some things that were fun well, about it. I find myself, actually, when I am, I can be profoundly affected by film and I can be profoundly affected by, um, by good TV uh, and I can be profoundly affected by books and it's a different thing. Like when I yeah. get to the end of an amazing book, I do like, I can't stop thinking about it. Right. It infects everything else that I'm thinking about. And it, it it's, you know, a, yeah. but I can tell I apply very different standards. I'm willing to throw two hours at something in, in, in movie form that I would never throw two hours at in reading huh. book form. Even two hours. Is, but, but that's because two, you know that two hours is not going to be enough to finish that book. I, I think it's about, well, I suppose it's yeah. a matter of economy. I bet. It, and it means I'm applying different standards. Yeah. And also, like, reading a book is an active thing, right? It's like, why am I going to keep engaging with this, yeah. right? Where the movie it can kind of wash over you. You can't, right. But you can... the kind of profound effect that I think a movie can have is is partly explained by that kind of washing over versus active, yes. right? So, like, you can be psychologically affected. A movie has, you know, music, image, words, all at the same time, reaching different parts of your brain, and it can affect you in a, in a very... I don't say specific because they can have different movies can have different effects, but especially when you see it in the profound, like the old, like the classic movie experience where, you know, you're going and it's, you're sitting in this different place and it's dark. Right. And the screen is huge and the sound is, is quite, can be quite overwhelming. In fact, uh, it, it just grabs your whole body in an emotional experience that again, sitting and reading a book appeals to one's emotions and thoughts in a different way. Even as a kid, as a young kid, I was just enthralled by movies that had that effect. And not all of them did. You know, as a kid, it was Star Wars, right? And some other movies. And, and so much so that I, I used to get, you know, those, um, the, uh, uh, the LPs that had the books that you could follow along with? Like there was one for Star Wars and it had like a picture and it would play a little sound when it was time oh, to turn the page. Yeah. You know what I'm talking about, right? Yeah. Uh, I would get those and I would set them up in my room. I would have like, a, I would position the lamp to cast a light on the pages, right? <laughs> and I would turn up, I would make, I'd try to get the sound just right oh, to try great. to to recreate this kind of experience of of witnessing together because I would always want my friends to join in. This mm. is, you know, um, I didn't have that many friends, Joe. <laughs> <laughs> my friends couldn't always be persuaded to like uh, experience the the magic of mm. of fake cinema with me. But like, right. I would love doing this, even if I didn't have, you know, I would do Star Wars over and over and over again, because there weren't that many, you know, it's not like there was an upstream color kids, right? <laughs> I knew that <laughs> was going to get LP. mentioned somehow along the way. Here. Well, but like, you know, the greatest movies are probably upstream color and, and um, Shutter Island. But like, you know, you know, we can put that to one side. There's no Shutter Island kids book, as far as I know, um, right. LP book. But, but you, you know what I mean, though? Like, the, like I, experiencing something together with other people at the same time, which is reaching you in a very deep psychological way. Oh, that's true. You, the, yeah, all the other people who are with you in the theater. Yeah. It, it allows you to kind of experience something together, which is like, is deeper than maybe you could get in a conversation with mere words. And, you know, for, that, for me, that's why music is so important um, in a movie. Like it, a movie speaks to you in these different registers all at the same time. And you yeah. can have a profound emotional experience and intellectual experience at the same time, which is, I don't see isn't isn't replicated in other forms but so too like a book as a sustained conversation that fills you with like the 
you know, the, the, the brain of another person expressed through story or through nonfiction, like there's no, there's no substitute for that either. Like right. it's just the, wonderful that we have these The and depth yeah. that it occupies your thoughts is really amazing. The extended conversation that yeah. you're having with someone who's, who's not there, right? But, um, so that's, I don't know, I, I think it's, um, I can have that experience and, 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 and a lot of that is like where I am. So, you know, five years ago, I might have seen a particular movie in a very different way and had a bad reaction or good reaction that now I would react to very differently. Sure. Um, a suggestion. Have you seen the movie mother? I have not. Hmm. Strong recommend speaking of music with uh, a movie with no music. Uh, so th- actually this was scored by Johan Johansson, one of my favorite composers who died tragically mm. uh, earlier this year in just, uh, it's terrible. Uh, and he had done the score for this and I think it was, uh, Darren Aronofsky is the director. He scored it all out and, and he eventually convinced the director that it would work better with no score wow. after he'd done all that work. So apparently the, um, the people who worked with him are actually going to release this kind of unused score huh. as a piece of music, which will be fascinating. But boy, that movie, that's a movie that works and i want to say anything i think you shouldn't know anything about it before you go in and see it i know a lot about it actually oh that's a that's a shame because i've i uh have heard it discussed at length on on more than one podcast oh really yeah i, I want to yeah so so offline you got to tell me what these are because i would okay. love to listen to them because i think if you know nothing about it and you go in and see it like like i did i watched it with rigel and and i think it'd be a great movie to show at st john's by the way hmm. um especially in that second year when they read mm. Um, mm. Oh, I shouldn't have even said that. I might cut that part out. But anyway. To not know anything about yeah, it. Yeah, to not yeah. know anything about it, I think, is important. Okay. So, I, do we want to say anything else about this? No. Oh, I did, I did want to say one other thing okay. that I think the email made me realize. Uh, that, you know, so it's about taste, and people can have different tastes, and they can look for different things. And, you know, it's a, you could, we could say the normal thing about kind of, up, you know, objectively interesting things and objectively uninteresting things and whether there are such things or whether taste is what it is and you, you can't say. Um, and, you know, he points to some, uh, the emailer points to some articles and writing about, you know, what's wrong with the dark night in terms of editing and ideas, but whatever, right. People can have different reactions. I can show you other pieces, which rehabilitate it and talk about it in other ways. But um, what's interesting to me though, is like we talked about that and he makes conclusions of course about like, our taste and what, because I think, you know, if you listen to a show like this, you kind of extrapolate from what we say to the rest of our lives. Mm. Right. But this is, we're only offering kind of a small, a small slice here. Right. So yes, like that you like the dark night, like, well, what else does Joe like? It's well, maybe if you listen to all the episodes, you can kind of piece together. Well, Joe probably enjoyed, you know, black Panther. He's more in, more into popcorn movies than maybe Christian is. Um, yeah, but, but also, you know, you, you like what you like and I like what I like, but like, we don't go into all of these things all the time. I'm just saying we offer a small slice of our, except maybe in law where we talk at length about all kinds of things. And, and honestly, how could it be otherwise? Uh, even I don't know, even I don't have a full sense of myself. So how could someone else have a full sense of me from, a, from a few snapshots of me? We contain multitudes. That's that's true, but uh, yeah. So you know, <laughs> whatever. <laughs> like well, no. it, don't like it. Listen, don't listen. 
<laughs> I, I, I love the feedback we get. I love the conversations we have. Um, I love the feedback we get even when someone's telling me I have trash taste. <laughs> Because they're t- because they care enough to sit down and write. Oh, I love I love something the, yeah, that conveys yeah. that they have a thought they want to share, and I value that truly. I, I loved, value that. I loved reading this email. I thought it was great. Um, but wrong, but great. <laughs> True. Listener Tom. Uh, no, I'm sorry. Listener Tarn. Emails about Harvard's case law access project. Have you seen this, Joe? I have. They've got uh, they've got an issue. Of course, they the I think the person wrote about the H two O. Well, it was about both, yeah. Yeah, but, but, but I think their remarks were principally about that. But the, um, the Harvard has also released this sort of massive public feed of uh, case law collections, which I think is very, of course, the stuff I'm doing is very, um, very interesting. Yeah, uh, so it's, I, I think it's, uh, they've released an API, which right. is something that you, if you're writing a program of your own of some kind, you can you can use this to kind of pull stuff from their, from their database. Right. And, and they have accessible from this API, apparently all published U.S. case law. And it's not totally usable by everybody all the time yet. There are some restrictions on what can be used because of a contract they have with another um, publisher, but this will expire, I think, by 2024, according to their site. So, yeah. But there are at least two jurisdictions where you can get basically the whole thing. And scholars can get access yeah. to things uh, for non-commercial use. Before twenty twenty, you just have to sign a particular kind of agreement. Or Undoubtedly, something like that. I haven't and, looked at it, but I, yes. But a lot of it's available to everybody, um, right. at least for for some. So it's it looks really cool, and and I imagine there will be some pretty cool apps that are made that use this API. Uh, the other thing that was included in Tarn's email, and I actually don't know the extent to which H two O I didn't wasn't able to kind of look at this enough, uh, is 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 um, is kind of tapped into this new case law access project. But H two O is. Um, it's been around for several years now. I feel like yeah. we discussed it when we discussed Hydrotext We did, because I played on. with it before a few years ago. I, don't, mm-hmm. I haven't looked at it lately, but um, yeah. yeah and, and Tarn points out that like, you know, we should take a look at this because it sounds like it has a bunch of what he calls Hydrotexty features. So Hydrotext is the, is the piece of web software I wrote back in, I think, 2008 for kind of putting together textbooks like you would put together a playlist in, right. a, in a music player. And it used it would spit out an HTML version and a PDF version using LaTeX and you could like upload different kinds of files. It would filter them and put them together and use LaTeX to make them look really nice actually yeah. in, in PDF. And um, so I wrote it in Rails. Um, partly it was an effort also to get into object-oriented program, object-oriented programming and Ruby. And so I had a, a lot of fun doing it, but then at some point like I didn't keep it up and I didn't have what sounds really cool about the Harvard um, project is there it seemed to be a bunch of people who were interested in this around the same place right and, right. and where i was it was kind of like i was writing this but <laughs> right. then like you know i would present to people but like i couldn't find a lot of partners who wanted to help yeah. out with it and on my own eventually i just there was one version of ruby that i didn't update it and i haven't you know haven't updated it on the server yet so mm. i've always thought like i should go back and take the guts of it and you know, make an iOS version of it or something like that. Cause I know how to do that now, but you know, it's like, you only have one life <laughs> right? and there's only so much time. Um, and the stuff, boy, it was cool though. It was the fun. stuff that's been done through the Berkman center. They do, it looks really, they good. do really interesting stuff. So, and now I think the last time I played with it, it wasn't as, as fully featured. I, I don't know what they've upgraded since then, but I just went and played with it again today in response to this email. Mm. And, and, uh, they've got some pretty good export things. You can export the, the books and and I don't know how long you've been able to do that or how it's looked in the past, but kind of like it used to work on Hydrotext. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it exports as a Word file, 
Okay. Which is probably a sensible choice since so many law professors use Word and you can kind of put, you know, you can cut and paste within a Word document. Um, so it, it looks great. So if you haven't checked these out and you're either a law prof or someone who's curious about case law, right. go to the H2O site. We'll, I'll try to put these, hopefully I'll have show notes. Okay. Um, I'm hoping. If there are no show notes, you'll know the answer to this question. You know, <laughs> you know more than I knew at the but moment. But doing, that I was you know, H two O for the Berkman Center, you, you Google that and you'll get to this thing. Yeah. No, no question. Um, we got a thanks from listener James, who's a lawyer planning to go on the academic job market soon. Mm. He says he finds the show useful um, to awesome. uh, as as a way to kind of steep in academic ideas which are outside his field. Welcome, James, so, a fellow traveler. Yeah. You know, this show, it's a show for seekers, Joe. It is. Haven't I said that before? I think you have. I feel like I, I just want, like I just want to keep saying that. <laughs> I am not going to stop you. Because it's you also a, a show for speakers. Are you, are you not a, just seekers. Are you a seeker? Um, I guess I am. I mean, I'm definitely a seeker. I'm a, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a chatter. I like to chat. I like to talk. I yeah. like just I like to converse. You're more comfortable, I think, with the with the dialectic, the the elliptical nature of conversation. Like you have like I get like and I don't know if it's like this like this unease, this kind of thing where you're talking like you know, like the Buddhist idea of dukkha, this kind of this this abiding unease and anxiety that I, I feel like I need to get somewhere to do mm. something. Like and that's kind of the energy behind like my seeking. Like I always I've always been that way. When I was in math, like I, there was a reason I was into math and there was, there are places I want to go and there's a reason I changed from math. I think it's partly this kind of unease and personality that I, uh, uh, unease and, um, got kind of like intellectual ambition or something. I don't know what it is, but I'm driven to like seek. And I feel like you're not quite that way. I feel like you're more comfortable, um, in a conversation like this, like being just, yeah, it is what it is. It's kind of, like I said, like elliptical. And you're comfortable with it. Am I wrong about that? I can't see your face because I don't have my glasses on because I haven't taken your advice and gotten the glasses, which, you know. <laughs> I, I, think you are, I, I think you are not wrong. I, I share your sense on both points. Hmm. What else would you want to say about that? Nothing at the moment. Okay. So this is not just a show for seekers then, in your view? Not just for seekers. They're... Other, right? We could we can welcome other people. Welcome, oh, James. It's yeah. I, I would like to think it's a big tent of a, of a show, but you know, you anyone who's a completist with a show clearly is like they're they're grasping for more, right? I guess. Yeah. What are they seeking? I don't know. <laughs> I, I I want to be that show for those people. Like, like we always said, like you know, I don't care how many people listen to the show in the end, right? But if it's five people who get as excited when the show drops as I get about some of the things I listen to. Boy, that would be awesome, right? It is a great thing about podcasts that that there are there are a lot of them, and it's a, f- a very fun way for people to uh, share uh, interests that they have in ways that are accessible to others. And uh, I think it is a uh, yeah, it's a great time to enjoy podcasts. So if we find our audience of people who really enjoy what what we do. Uh, given that we really enjoy what we do, the fact that others can enjoy it too, that's pretty cool. Yeah, that's what we always thought back in the back in the, back day. In the beginning. And I mean, we are coming up on the fifth anniversary, and although everyone else is about to lap us because they make fifty episodes a week, <laughs> we'll get to that. We'll get to that. We'll get to that. Total wackos. <laughs> it's maddening. <laughs> Stop. 
I think it's great. I think it's great that people. I think it's great too. I just don't want them to do it. (laughs) Uh, Let me let me do this email from listener Charlie, and we'll come back to that. So, uh, listener Charlie said that ages ago, uh, you and Joe discussed um, MMP on the podcast. I think it's Multi Markdown Plus. Mm. Uh, I have a need for a simple markup, and we'll probably use it. But would like to know if you've discovered anything similar you recommend as well or more these days. And this is kind of related to what I was talking about before, because I used Markdown as kind of the lingua franca in my Hydrotext project, uh-huh. right? Because it's a portable format and, and yep. outputs nicely. So for those who don't know, we did a show, like, I feel like we haven't done one of these shows in a long time. Maybe we should come back to it. Like, we did a show about, like, word processors and text in yes. law. We did one about fonts and typefaces and design yes. with Matthew Butterick we did. way back we in the Matthew day. Matthew Butterick. Though, man, um, talk about a heyday. But Ooh. this is like my, uh, this is like my anti-word um, screed screed yeah yeah basically saying it wouldn't it be nice if everybody could just do markdown like we would all be better off but um i i have to report like i feel like a lot of this has been beaten out of me over the years really? i still feel it's right i still feel like my god if we could all just use markdown instead of these horrible word processors like right. everything if only the world had unfolded that way yes if only right. but it but it very plainly hasn't i was shocked that the show didn't have immediate influence on the course <laughs> of uh, legal history but it apparently did not joe no uh and so i have probably used word and or pages i use them kind of interchangeably i open one for some one for the other and, and like more like I, I tend to shift to those earlier in a writing project than mm-hmm. than i used to um just out of a, a nod to kind of practicality right but i do a lot actually in ulysses have you ever used oh. Ulysses? I have not used Ulysses, although I'm aware of it. I the 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 little text editor for just writing text files that comes with the text edit. Uh, yeah, that comes with the um, you know OS ten, et cetera, yeah. et cetera. Um, I use that a lot. Yeah, I use. Text, I use it every day. Yeah, I use text edit a bunch for for all kinds of stuff along the way. If you open my well, my laptop is open right now because it's recording this. But uh, uh, if you open my laptop, there will be a bunch of text edit windows that have various kinds of notes, which at yeah. some point I will save. And um, but like for my um, undergraduate course, the Foundations of American Law course, yeah. I, I built a textbook in that, and I built that in Ulysses. Uh huh. Oh, you did. Okay. Yeah, because that's something I'm not going to submit to anyone. I can build it from the ground up and I can make it look nice. And it's just a way of kind of structuring a longer thing. And you did that in Markdown. Yeah. Yeah. I did that all in Markdown. But, but well, Ulysses has a certain flavor. I forget what they call it. It's a Markdown variant. Mm, Okay. Um, which is a little bit, I, I, and maybe at this point you can select what flavor of Markdown you want to use. I associate Markdown with Mark, uh, with, uh, with John Gruber. Yes. John Gruber was the inventor of Markdown. And there was a similar, there were a number around that time of, of plain text markup languages. And there's a multi-markdown, right? Multi-markdown was the one I think I used in Hydrotext because it allowed for footnotes, mm. which is kind of important in yeah. legal documents. Right. Um, so I so I used that. There was also Textile around that time. Oh. Um, I think before Markdown, actually, Textile. And Markdown was maybe, you know, it, I had an aesthetic preference for Markdown. Uh, so so the, the answer is, listener Charlie, I don't know. I, I wish that I had a better story. I wish that I had changed the world, at least the legal world. But mm. but alas, I've kind of like been, been beaten down a little bit. So I haven't explored a lot. Other than that, I have used Ulysses quite a bit. I use Byword, um, which is a markdown editor for pretty much all of my notes for my classes. Oh, okay. So I will, you know, I'll look on my tablet um, in Byword for notes. I find that really helpful and useful. Okay. But like you, Joe, I do a lot of like just plain text editing and text yeah. edit for like no, on writing projects. I'll cut and paste from 
from uh, things in my web browser that are relevant to my project. I'll put them into a, or I'll, if I'm reading a paper and I want to summarize it to remember, I'll just be typing into a text edit yeah. thing alongside and I'll save and it to the project And in terms of cutting folder. and pasting, I like doing the, um, I've got a format stripper. Yeah, so when I do a, a cut and paste, Oh, really? It just strips all the junk out from whatever the source of it might be. Oh, is that a system service or? Um, is that a system service? It's, uh, no, I, it's a, I'll show you. Okay. It's, it's this little thing that's running in the top bar. Oh, okay. Um, so something you haven't, so, so an app you have installed. And yeah. Like, yeah. It runs as a demon, as they right. say. And I, and it just, when you do, as long as it's active, uh, you can deactivate it as needed, but if it's active, then it just strips all formatting crap out of anything you you copy and then paste into something else. Yeah, so it's super handy. Okay, I should take a look at that because there's a lot. There are number of these. Garbage. I mean, hmm? there's all kinds of stuff. These. I feel like I just know my computer less than I did ten years ago. Yeah, I will. That's and isn't that the nature of? Is the nature of getting older? Or is the nature of the it's the nature system? of computing? Isn't Maybe it? to push you further and further away from what's uh, all the nitties and gritties. Yeah. I open up the terminal app a lot less than I used to. Yeah, well. Yeah. Um, also from listener Charlie. In the final moment of episode 182. Man, that's a lot of episodes, Joe. Yeah. Not for some of these but young... But not whip- very many <laughs> compared not, to some people. Not for some of these young whippersnappers. We'll get to that. I thought I heard, though maybe imagined too much, um, but I've heard before too, some disappointment regarding the show from us. Knock that off. Knock that off, Charlie says. <laughs> The show is a series. Now, are you ready for this, Joe? I don't know if I am. I don't recall seeing this. We don't normally read flattery, do we? I guess we do, don't we? Not you, normally, you because we it. receive very little of it. <laughs> so, no. Uh, you remember we got whiskey from, um, was it Listener Paul in Canada? Yeah. Uh, was, it, was it Paul I, in Canada who sent the talisker? I think it was. Wow. And Listener Bunny also shared some Coffee whiskey from us. Listener Bunny. Oh, and, and whiskey. And whiskey. This was at the live event. Yeah, she gave it. Yes, she did. So we've we've gotten flattery in the form of amazing gifts before. We have gotten emoluments. (laughs) I received yarn. (laughs) That was, we have been plied with emoluments. I love the oral argument community. What can I say? But um, uh, so get ready for this, though. Knock that off. The show is a series of many masterpieces. (gasps) Now, wait. He did say many masterpieces. Yes. Very small. Not many as in M-A-N-Y. M-I-N-I, yeah. right? You, you, but yes. he's saying it's like th- that, but they're like mini masterpieces that as an oeuvre, did I say that correctly? F- close enough. Or should it, or should it be oeuvre? <laughs> I, don't, I don't speak French. No, no, nor do I. I don't, I, we is are neither I don't of us speak native French? French speakers, so who knows? Oeuvre. That make a full-blown work of art. <gasps> when in doubt, and this I think is really cool, and, and this, I think everybody should remember this for whatever you do. Because, mm. you know, everybody kind of hoes away at something, right? Yeah. Like, we're always, like, hoeing in the dirt, trying to make something of something, whatever it is in yes. our life, right? And this is one of the things that you and I are hoeing in the dirt to try to do something with, right? Yes. Uh, when in doubt, remember that for every single episode, there's at least one guy out there secreted in the woods waiting for it, listening to every word who will be sad when the day inevitably comes and the feed stops. Mm. And he's right that, that inevitably, there will be a last show. This is true. There is a calendar out there far enough where you know the day of my death it's there like this is this the existential dread that we can yes. have right that there is a there is a last show we don't know when it's going to be it's not That's this one true. well 
Hopefully not. The fates are weaving a tapestry, and one day the fates will snip these threads. But he says, please don't change it. Please keep making it. I'm not kidding. So, you know, that that's, feels good, doesn't it? It does feel good. Of course, it's uh, quite misguided in saying... <laughs> It's quite misguided in saying don't change it. Yeah. Uh, because it, like everything else, is it's ever changing. changing. Uh, so. Yeah, uh, when I listen back to those earlier episodes, they're, they're, I find them like better in some ways and worse in others. Right. So we, we uh, the, the, the you and the me of the now will uh, persist as the you's and the me's of the now do. And that will involve doing a thing we call oral argument. Mm-hmm. And you remember, it, you, it will change you, because you, it always does. You used to encourage me repeatedly to get a guest host on. I, that's true. I did for a while. You were quite adamant that that would never occur. That 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 just wouldn't be oral argument, right? It would be right, a different which show. Is, which is, but and that's that's true that it wouldn't be. But of course, it's also untrue um, because you'd be here, and and you and the effort to have a conversation of a type would, would continue, and that would be good. Yeah, but it would just be a different show. Yes, in the same way that, the you, and the, that you and me of now are not the same people that were then either. So it, we've already, you've already had different Whoa. guest hosts, and I've already had conversations with different people too, because we are different oh my God. all the time. You're blowing my mind. It's like that predestination movie. Which one was that? Was it, is that what it was called? The one with, um, what's his name? Yeah, Matthew McConaughey the, 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 in the no, bookcase? The weird, no, the weird time travel movie. Um, who was who that actor? Goodness, that was a good one. I think it was called Predestination. I, I, I oh, can't yes. Say, I can't say more about it because you don't want to spoil yeah, that one either. Yeah, no, that sure, was right? a good one. Yeah. That yeah. Was very good. Um, but, but you're kind of, you know, the you, me, now, then, that's, uh, I, I, I kind of got lost in that. I feel like I needed my glasses on to see you in order to understand what you were saying. <laughs> I was just saying it would be a different show. That's all. It'd be, it would it'd be a different thing. But, of course, you're correct, right, that the next episode we record will be a different show. Because right. the us then is not the us now. I'm just, you know. Um, but there are legal documents as well. So that, you know, that these positions of, of Joe and Christian on the oral argument show, uh, these are heritable positions. So ah, okay. Yeah, so it, it's who I, I'll just have to, you know, if you die first, Joe, I'll just have to look at your will. Okay. To determine who the host will be and the same if I die first. And just to, not to take us back to the, you know, the moment when one wants to pitch oneself off the roof. However, <laughs> um, d- d- just to graphically illustrate the way in which we are different uh, necessarily. Hmm. Um, you know, put, put, dear listener, cast your mind back to the summer of 2016. Dear listener, <laughs> remind yourself about being here now. Dear listener, you may feel like the world that we're in now is not the world you would have imagined you would be in in the summer of 2016. I mm. certainly feel that way. Yeah. Do you uh, know, there was this, uh, speaking of that, there, I, I think I told you about this casually the other day. There, um, there was a tweet about the, the kid who, um, they, they did the, um, the Bat Kid in San Francisco. Mm, mm-hmm. You remember that? There was yeah. the day they kind of shut down portions of San Francisco for the, right. for the, I think it was Make-A-Wish Foundation or some similar organization. Yeah. For this ter- terminally ill child or what or seems to be seriously ill, child. seriously yeah. ill child, uh, yeah. with, I think with cancer, can- but some cancer serious, diagnosis. serious illness. And yeah. they shut it down and, and there was Batman and he went on his, I, I forget if the kid also played as Bat Kid. Right. Um, 
but they went around and solved a series of crimes and things. To and San Francisco. Really a bunch I of mean, people participated and were cheering and stuff. It was really like super fun. And it was five years ago. Yeah. And well, the great news is the kid, at least as of now, is cancer free. And, you know, so it looks like just a, a miraculous, yeah, a, a miraculous um, recovery. I'm sure it was a hard road, but it's like, it's hard. You know, it's, it's awesome. Like the, yeah. we're able to do that at the same time. I remember watching that five years ago. I remember Twitter five years ago and it was like, wow, that was a different world. Mm. You know, I got on Twitter, I think in 2007. And at that point it was like some designers, some software people, um, some, some journalists and things. It was like, a, it was people were, it was really a kind of quirky place and yeah, I, I really of, loved it. And it's it not that sort of now. a slow start. Yeah. And it was, it was so, it was, I, I think I liked it better. Uh, <laughs> But, uh, but, but to look, to think about us back then and to imagine, like, anyway, the now seems to me uncanny from that perspective. Yeah, that was my point. Yeah, that it was just so, but I, I was just pointing that out because, you know, uh, seeing that post, like I had a vivid memory of watching that escapade in, in San Francisco and remembering the kinds of things that. I used to think about when I, when I went on Twitter, weird. Yeah. Yeah. Sad. I am what are you doing? I am Twitter user 14,129721 and I have been a member since March, 2008. Hmm. See, I feel, I feel like I, I missed out. I, so I was, um, Twitter user number 8,699,000, uh, September, 2007. That's great. Uh, yeah, but I've, you know, I, I, I resisted for months getting on Twitter because I was like, oh, I don't know, I you know. So I feel like I had my chance to have a very low Twitter number. Mm. And but this just shows, like, the fact that I'm even thinking about that shows, like, boy, maybe maybe my life is a little bit more hollow than it needs to be. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I did want to mention. Um, so I actually had like a, a topic. I had, but we're not going to get to it. Oh, what is it? Well, I. I kind of wanted to talk about this attorney general thing. Mm. Like that's a potential topic because I have some. I have some thoughts about this. Yeah. Uh, I'm glad we didn't get to that. I really don't want to talk about that right now. Well, he didn't resign. Hmm? Sessions did not resign. Um, Within the meaning of the statute. That's my argument. No one else seems to take this seriously. It's frustrating to me. Well, I take it seriously in in the sense that it is a... um, I think think people widely agree that the statute of this this Vacancy Reform Act... um, is designed to uh, deal with a problem not of the president's making, right? By firing a person, and if that is to have any force, any genuine force, it I would think would have to be construed in a way that uh, insists on a purposive approach to answering the question whether or not a person has resigned, right? Uh, because if it's just a magic words approach, well, if you can get the person to say they resigned by threatening them with firing enough, and you happen to have found a person who's sensitive enough about the word fire that they don't want to be, they don't want to suffer with that word, uh, then you can evade the act. Well, that sh- that just clearly isn't the best way to uh, to apply the act, given the act's purpose, right? It seems to me. Um, but even even a formalist reading, like even if you're a formalist about it, you know, uh, resigning according to the dictionary, like it's a voluntary 
uh, what's the other word it uses? But it, voluntary withdrawal. Right, right? and so the Attorney you can General explore. Sessions' letter says on its face that I, you know, as you requested, I'm resigning. So that suggests that it is. And he didn't say as you demand. So my, my reading of it would 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 create some hard cases. There's no question that it would create some hard cases about what it means really to be voluntary. But yeah. what's clear is like the word resign has, you know, voluntary is part of what it means to resign. And, and, and people point out like, you know, Sessions did have agency. He could have not resigned and anything could have changed and, right. and he could have forced uh, Trump to fire him. I just don't know why uh, you would want to read the statute to be sensitive to that, to the particular psychology related to firing and resigning in the official. Right? And I think you would also say, you know, if, if uh, Congress s- certainly could have written the statute to say that when the that in when the president in the president's discretion deems the, the person to have resigned. Yeah. Right. So you could Congress could have written a statute that would have made it entirely a matter of presidential discretion. This right. seems to be actually the opposite of that. It which does. is an effort to lay down a marker that is not about what was in the president's discretion to, to, and control. Yes. I mean, to be fair, um, the, the formal the, the formal reading that many have urged, which is that if the if, official the the um, uh, if if the official says he or she has resigned, then they've resigned, right? Uh, that does leave the power to resign in the official, at least, right? I. Because you you have the power to make the president fire you. It can still be a fact question. I mean, there can still be a letter where you say you resign and you, and the official says, I didn't write that. And the president says, Fair yes, enough. you did. And then so it's not as though this formal reading will kind of absolve us of all possible hard cases involving, uh, you know, factual cases about whether there was a resignation. But it definitely takes care of more than my reading does. Right. But at least I think my reading of it, although it would create some hard cases um, and, and, you know, you'd probably want to have some rules to to kind of rein in the number of those hard cases, it at least avoids the constitutional difficulty, which some people say exists when you have a, uh, an official like this. And I, I don't know we want to get into this constitutional difficulty, but... And it is odd to me that, you, that, that again, given, given the way the statute is framed, uh, it seems to me that, that how the official describes what they have done is one bit of evidence about the fact of the matter, but what matters is the fact of the matter mm-hmm. about whether they've resigned or not. Right. And and as you say, resigning it has a, a kind of a level of voluntariness to it. Yeah. Um, not pressured to leave. And, and right? this matters because as a as a pragmatic matter, like we need continuity of government operation. Maybe in a way, maybe at the founding you didn't quite need continuity in every executive department like we do now, but like, you know, it's you're gonna need someone you're gonna need a Department of Justice, like 24-7-365, right? You, <laughs> it does you, seem that way to me. You yeah. need a military 24-7-365. Like right. you, can't have in, you can't have lapses in any governmental authority right? uh, for, for periods. So, and so and it's not be, hard to imagine people in these jobs with the amount of stress that they're under, for example, just right. to take one example of how an exigency could arrive mm-hmm. where someone is simply not able to fulfill their duty, right? Right. Um, th- these are incredibly stressful positions. Mm-hmm. And so it's, it's easy to imagine a person, uh, even though they, I'm sure, get very good health care and these highest officials are probably, probably have their health monitored regularly in right. such a way to try to avoid just this problem. But but look, if the you know if the attorney general uh, grabs his or her chest and falls over from a heart attack, uh, <laughs> a that's not uh, getting fired. Um, B that person needs to be replaced immediately. 
right? And right. so there's quite apart from, of course, from the Vacancy Reform Act, there's the fact that there's a there's agency an, specific piece of legislation to deal with the Justice Department. And, and there's a case, English against Trump, which deals with how, at least in, a, in, the, diff, in a, the different context of the Consumer Financial Protection Board, whether its language about succession in its organic statute trumps the language in the Vacancy Reform Act, it concluded that it didn't, that there wasn't a conflict. And so right. there's kind of a close question about what to do when, as here, there is an AG succession statute, a particular one, and the Federal Vacancy Reform Act, and people can disagree about that. I've got my own views about it. But, but all of which yeah. is to say you don't dither around for months or, or weeks or, or days. You, someone needs to be in the job. Yes. And so the, the controversy is over whether the person who can assume the role can be chosen by the president and at the same time be non-Senate confirmed, right? Because as a principal officer under the Constitution, right, a lot of people think that principal officers need to be Senate confirmed, perhaps except in exigent circumstances. And this is where, like, Steve Vladek, and there's this, like, early uh, uh, turn of the 19th century, I think, case about yes. this. And I, I've actually not read that case. It's the one I meant to get to and I haven't, haven't looked at yet. But, um, but it does seem to me that it's possible that there would be situations where we need continuity of government and there is not a Senate-confirmed person to whom to turn. And it makes sense that in that moment, there is someone in, say, the Department of Justice or in the military who can, like, direct operations in a way that you wouldn't say that those directions were sui generis or not uh, were, were um, uh, um, uh, ultra virus, right? Um, and so it seems sensible that the Constitution would admit for kind of a pragmatic appointment of an or a pragmatic like designation of a non Senate confirmed person under exigent circumstances. Yes, but I would think those would have to be circumstances w- which were not created uh, by the president be- because. If you were willing to admit into the exigency a situation of the president's making, a president could then evade the need for Senate confirmation. Yeah. And the, the Vacancy Reform Act allows the the, um, the temporary to appointee to serve for 210 days, right. which I believe, and I looked at this a while ago, so I hate to spread misinformation. Um, I hope I'm not. I, I believe that if the president's appointee before the Senate, which is a different person. It cannot be actually the same person. This temporary appointee cannot then be um, uh, nominated by the president Mm. uh, for confirmation by the Senate. But if the president's nominee is turned down, I think the president gets to make another 210-day appointment, and Mm. I think it can be the same person. So I had this idea, like when I was in law school, for this paper on constitutional train wrecks. Constitutional what? Train train wrecks. wrecks. Yeah, just... I think I mentioned it before on the show. Like, it's, it's an interesting kind of thought exercise to think about all these circumstances where um, where it's possible for people to act within, like, the letter of the Constitution in ways that are obviously, like, suicidal, right? The one I always had in mind was, you know, you get a, you get a large enough majority in the House and Senate, and you can impeach and remove basically everybody in the executive branch and in, on the Supreme Court, and you can install your own lackeys in all of these positions, right? Sure. Um, and that's, like, just you know, an undemocratic coup. Sure. That's bad, right? Yes. <laughs> so that's a train wreck, right? It, and it might comply with the letter, but it certainly doesn't comply with the the purpose or the or what you might call the right. spirit of and, the and system. Look, and people will argue, hey, it doesn't comply with the letter because you're only supposed to be able to impeach for high crimes and misdemeanors. But it's also our tradition that that, that the interpretation of that um, of that phrase is within um, the exclusive province of the of the legislature. So right. If that's true, I guess. The, the and by the way, if you added to the document to try to elaborate more on the definition of high crimes and misdemeanors, that 
verbiage would itself be is still interpretable right. by that. Right. So there's, there's, but, an, there's but a rechange problem right. here. But if you change the rule of interpretation, you give some other institution the ability to interpret, you just kind of, you, you change the direction of the train wreck. Because then, <laughs> right? <laughs> right? So, so, um, so there, there is no way to lock in with mere words in a document, in, in a constitution or a statute, right? There's no way to lock in protection against the worst possible meltdowns, it seems to me. Like, there's always a way to get to one of these meltdowns. Yes. So, because it's a, it's a, at its core, it's about people bent on bad faith and bent on destruction. And, the, and it's very hard to stop people with paper. Yeah, I mean... When they are bent on that. What's possible is always to set up the paper in such a way that the person who wants to stop them will have a good argument, right? This is, I think... It certainly the, helps. The best version of, like, originalism, I guess, right, is to, is to be able to say, hey, we've got something to point to saying that you're wrong. But the point here is that it may not be good enough to say you're wrong, like if you allocate authority in the right way, right? So, um, so, the, so the mere fact that, like, if we had, um, so th- that these vacancies could appear, right, and there's a need to appoint them suggests that there, there needs to be an ability to put someone in that position now, right? Um, if we didn't have that, we would have this kind of train wreck scenario. And in fact, as a matter of fact, there would be someone directing the government and they would be ultra virus and the court would have to like make up something after the fact, right? right or approve exactly. it. So that, that's going to happen. Um, if we adopt my reading, which is that um, resignation means has some substance to it, right? You have to kind of probe for volunteerism. In other words, you know, did Jeff Sessions have the option of remaining in his post despite the fact that Kelly told him he, it needed to be that day, right? Right. Um, there's a sense in which, of course, he did. Like, he could have stayed in his post until the moment that he was fired. But I think a sensible reading of, you know, when, when a boss demands a resignation, um, yes, you've resigned, but we also don't see that as voluntary, right? It was a choice between a quote-unquote voluntary resignation and a firing. And, so, it would, and it's yeah. worth asking the person who says that... Um, you know, he could have waited to, until the moment he was fired, and that proves that he resigned. Um, to say, well, what, you know, w- w- why would that prove it? I mean, w- why didn't he, even if he got fired, why didn't he wait to be bodily removed by the marshal service? Mm-hmm. Right. So you can pu- you can push this thing all over the place if if, and it's about what you think the the goal of having a rule like this is it seems to me. right it, and ultimately it's about institutions like you know what what do you want courts to be able to say about the senate's role in the end right like do you want the executive to be able to do this and right. and so one train wreck here right is the president um demands a resignation gets a resignation from a you know somewhat compliant uh op- principal officer and then at some point nominates someone who is clearly unqualified, you know, maybe a child or something like that, right? Um, who you will don't be mean rejected. nominate, you mean install. No, I mean nominate. So For Senate confirmation. Yes, so, so they install the lackey. Okay. But then, but then they nominate for Senate confirmation a oh, child right, or someone else. right, because then it will fail. Then it just keeps re- Which will give them a new, right. Right. And, and then All the, of which might comply with the letter if that's your interpretation. If that's your interpretation, right? And so right. my preferred interpretation gives courts a role in getting to someplace sensible right if, if you read sooner yes if you if, <laughs> if you read the um by 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 involving the senate sooner yes. right so so in other words to have a real train wreck with lackeys who are able to um hide criminality right which is maybe what you think the vacancy reform act is like aimed at right it's it's, it's aimed at the president's ability kind of unilaterally to install lackeys who have not been approved by any other institution mm-hmm. right mm-hmm. um then then 
it doesn't completely prevent this possibility, but it at least gives the Senate a say in it. So yes, if the Senate is bent on enabling the president's criminality, like we're screwed, there's nothing you can do, right? Indeed. But, you know, at least my reading would give courts an ability to inject um, the Senate's voice somewhat. And I think that even those who now say there has uh, not been a firing, there has been a resignation, would. Um, if there were another cycle of this, mm-hmm. that if the thing you just described actually started happening, yeah. they might revisit, they might be willing to revisit their sense of what resignation sh- should be construed to mean so that this statute can accomplish its purpose better. Right. Yeah. What is resignation? And what a salutary in, purpose in, for yeah. it might be. To what extent is it justiciable? You know, that's, these are, these are tough questions and, and. Right. So I'll probably link in the show notes um, at least one of these. So Jed Sugarman has written some good stuff about this. Um, Steve Vladek and mm-hmm. Marty Lederman, right. um, some other folks have written about it and arguing about the, both the constitutionality of having someone leading the attorney, uh, leading the Department of Justice who's not Senate confirmed um, and and the statutory question. But um, most people that I've read have really like, although they've acknowledged that there's a resignation issue, they kind of just... Um, and it's not that they, they, they don't appreciate what I'm saying. I, I think they just think that as a formal matter, he resigned, he had agency, you know, that's the end of it. It's kind right. of a, like a plain reading kind of thing. But I, I think even it's like Steve wrote an op-ed where he said, you know, even though it wasn't voluntary, it was a resignation. I'm like, yeah. as a textual matter, I'm like, I'm like Steve, my friend. Yeah, like, that doesn't, um, that doesn't quite work. Well, as I said several minutes ago, I'm very glad we have not gotten to oh, this yes. topic this was, today. This, it would have been a disaster to talk yeah, about we this. We should definitely not do this topic no. today. No, no, no. So right. let's, let's, put this, let's put this topic off until later. Right. Okay. When we can really get into when it. When we can really get into the details. <laughs> and I have it at my fingertips, all of the great writing on this and yeah. the statutory provisions. Exactly. The AG succession statute, and we can compare statutory language. And, yeah. Um, well, but... I, in and the meantime, in the meantime, I just wanted to observe that there's there's a very important principle going on here, and there's a tricky question of what court's role should be in kind of the validation right. of that of that principle. So, what else is on your list of notes of things that we need to talk about, or should talk about, or might want to talk about, or could enjoy talking well, about? I did want to, um, I, I did want to mention a couple of new podcasts. Oh, okay, cool. And uh, I'm so, loving Rachel Maddow's The Bagman. Have you heard this? No. The music alone is so fabulous. It's quite a product. Really? Quite a production. I've, I've not listened to that. It's about I... the Spiro Agnew uh, affair. Oh, wow. And his uh, quite pitched level of criminality that was uncovered from his time as a county executive in Baltimore and then the governor of Maryland b- before becoming vice president. I've gotten a few great suggestions lately. So that, I, I will put that on my list. Um, and I, I, uh, my friend Greg suggested slow burn, which of course it's one of these, like someone suggesting cereal to you. I mean, like you, you should have, <laughs> but, but you know, he said it was really good. And, and it was yeah. like, you, especially if you listen to two X, I mean, these are, it's like eating popcorn. You can right. listen to the whole, so the first season, season one was so the great. first season was about the Nixon impeachment and what it was like in real time. And I'm like a sucker for these things. Like I follow the Twitter yeah. account, like uh, world war two in real time. And I used to read this blog about the great depression in real time where mm. like each day they give you that day's news. As wow. if it were the, and you can kind of start to feel what it must've been like to see this kind of chaos unfolding. Of course, you never know quite what it's like because you know the right. future, right, in a way that we don't know. Um, but that was th- that was kind of the conceit of slow burn, right, is that we're going to go back and see day-to-day, like how did we 
how did it take them so long to yeah. see what was happening? And right. so I thought it was great. And it's a really quick listen. Season two is about the Clinton impeachment, which I thought was equally good and interesting. Um, I know that you didn't listen to all of that one. I though. have not. Uh, so I'll check this one out. So listen to season two. Yeah. Season oh, one was a joy and a delight. I brought up Serial. And have you listened to the new season of Serial? I have not. It is actually really great. I, I, that's not surprising. I, I think every season of Serial has been good. Like This harkens back to the, one of the first things we talked about today, which was um, liking things that are popular. <laughs> and Serial, there, there's not a more popular podcast, I think, than Serial. Mm. But it's also a really, really good podcast. And we did one of our first like listener participation shows. I think yeah. the call-out show was, Way was back at the, the end day. of season one of Serial. Ooh. That's uh, that was cut. the Adnan Syed case, and there's yeah. been a lot of news about that. And one of the things that you and I talked about was how, you know, like my mom was super into serial. Like mm-hmm. it, a lot of people were into it because it had, it was this like, it was a murder mystery. It was serious, but it was also like a legal drama. Yeah. And so it had a lot of like typical dramatic elements that kind of pulled a lot of people in and got them thinking about the justice system and how it works in real life. Yep. And one of the things that I think we talked about on the show was how that a lot of other people were marked on as well that it was kind of an unrepresentative case because of how much litigation and attention it was yeah, getting. And yep. it, w- it wasn't a good representation of what the actual problems are in the criminal justice system. Right. So this season, it's, it's almost like, well, I don't know why we don't just take credit for it, Joe. I think, I think um, they listen to our show. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Uh, not, not really. They did a great job. And they, they went to a single courthouse in Ohio. And like interviewed a bunch of people sat in on all kinds of cases followed cases to try to get a sense of like how does it really work um and you hear about plea bargaining and how they do plea bargaining Mm. how they do sentencing in cases how different judges who are elected do things how um how youthful offenders are treated um uh, litigation against cops who are violent with people they're arresting and uh, it's it's a remarkable remarkable achievement actually huh. i think um they spent a long time and worked very hard to produce you know something which i learned a lot you know as a as a law prof i don't teach crim law or crim pro or anything yeah, like nor that do I. so um so I, so I can't say that everybody would be surprised by things that they hear but i certainly was so i thought it was great huh. um a couple of others uh there was a former um employee at the law school who i very much liked who has um started a podcast called feeding us called what it's called Feeding Us. Oh, yeah, Jen Wolf. Yeah, Jen yeah. Wolf. Yeah, and it's um, uh, a podcast all about um, kind of agriculture, especially local agriculture. And uh, if you're into farm-to-table stuff, it would yeah. be interesting to you. But it's more than just farm-to-table. So anyway, I thought we would, you know, let people know about that. Yeah. Like everybody's starting podcasts. I think it's great. Absolutely. And, and this is one, if you're into that kind of thing, I think it'd be great. Now, we do have, were you flagging me down? I'm not flagging you. Oh, I thought you. I thought you were waving. I can't see, yeah. as I said earlier. Yeah. Um, so there's a there's a new podcast which is in our genre. So if you like this kind of thing that we do, um, I think you would very much like this podcast. And there uh, already, in fact, in the time that we recorded this, Brian Fry has recorded four episodes of his podcast. Did you know that, Joe? And released eighteen more <laughs> in the back catalog already. Yeah. So it's when did he crazy. start releasing episodes? I, I forget. It was like. A couple months ago, at most, a month and a half ago, and he's up to I don't know how many episodes, but he's on a frantic pace releasing these things, and he they're is. good, and people should listen, yeah. right? And um, the name of the show is Ipsy Dixit. Correct. Did, did I use? Did I speak the Latin properly? I think you did. Okay. 
I've not studied the Latin, so I'm not sure. You know, I, 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 I've not taken conversational Latin. Mm. Have I you th- taken that, Joe? No. Okay. So I but think I, Ipsy Dixit is how it is conventionally, how that phrase is uh, conventionally pronounced. Mm-hmm. And he, I think his, the last episode that I saw that he dropped, and I have not listened to it yet, involves friend of the show, repeat guest. They call him Mad Mike. Mike <laughs> Madison. <laughs> yep. Right? They don't. <laughs> the hit from I, the pit. I think I may be the only person who's ever called him Mad Mike. I don't know. Uh, he's great. So yeah, if you can't get enough Mike Madison, and, and really who can, um, there's another podcast that he's appeared on. You're yes. looking at your phone. Are you looking at Ipsy Dixit right now? Uh, I'm looking at all sorts of podcasts in my oh. list of of podcasts. So just thinking, having thoughts about things I've listened to over time. Oh, really? Okay. Go on with your list. That, that, that was, I, I just wanted to, to do that. I think um, uh, we've mentioned all the other podcast people, and people have already found these, right? So people already listen to First Mondays. They already listen to National right. Security Law Podcasts, which I think just had their 100th episode. Yeah, or maybe 200th. No. <laughs> um, no, it was 100th. They, they, are, oh, they are religiously like once a week plus like emergency episodes. Yes. So they're they, just really going at they it. They have a rigor and a vigor that um i will i at least uh, will never match we've been on a pace to record three out of every four weeks roughly over the nearly we're we're, we're just a few weeks away from our fifth anniversary mm. and um and we've slowed to like once every two weeks for the past like couple of months I, but our general pace has been three out of every four so one i would recommend is in our time which is a bb uh, bbc radio four mm-hmm. uh podcast they did an amazing series on BBC Radio 4 called Living with the Gods, which was um, sometime back. So it's, a, it's a, just sort of a complete set. They don't add new ones to that. But it is fascinating huh. about various faith traditions um, called Living with the Gods. And, uh, and, of course, The Partially Examined Life, which I have a special fondness for as a St. John's grad, hmm. given that uh, one of the particular people there is a St. John's grad and etc etc but yeah there's just so many good ones to choose from so many great ones to try all right well here i'm just gonna go through the list then why not since we're doing it i got i got 99 percent invisible of course i've got amicus i didn't list all the things i I listened to i've got amicus i've got the uh um barbican contemporary music podcast from the barbican center in london uh, I've got Dan Carlin's Hardcore History. Well, sure, I have that. I've got ELB Podcast with Rick Hassan. Now, these are in order, but like the ones that I've already listened to the episodes that I don't have them kind of in the bank, I'm, I'll, I'll get to in a second. Mm, okay. Uh, I've got uh, Feeding Us with Jen Wolf. I've got Friendly Fire, which is about uh, war movies with John Roderick, because um, I listen to all John Roderick podcasts. I'm aware. I've got uh, Headphone Commute. Um, Here's one from another listener of ours, Joe. Ooh. In that case with uh, Joel Townsend mm. from Australia, mm-hmm. talking, uh, uh, all about Australian law. It's a, it's a really interesting podcast, and he's got an amazing guest on there. Uh, Invisibilia, I'm behind on that one. Judge John Hodgman, National Security Law Podcast, The Omnibus mm. with Ken Jennings and John Roderick. Mm. Uh, the On Reserve Podcast from the UGA Law Library. Uh, Radio Lab. I mean... Of course, right? So, listeners, let me interject Robot here. or Not. <gasps> Robot or Not. Song Exploder. Space Pod with uh, Carrie Nugent, an astronomer. Um, Vox is the Weeds. I do have the University of Chicago Law School faculty podcast still on here. Um, 
and they come out every now and then. Hmm. Every now and then something drops. I've got the Accidental Tech Podcast, the Adventure Zone, um, Back to Work Daily, the Election Profit Makers. Remember that with uh, John Kemble and David Reese. Uh, I've got First Mondays, the Flop House, of course, and I've got a number of other things. Let's see. See, some of these I don't listen to because I don't have time. Right. So, so let me, let me just interject here, listeners. I am not going Philosophy to... Philosophy Bites. I'm not going to engage in this <laughs> extremely ostentatious... Roadwork? Reading of Roderick this on the line. huge list Cereal? of podcasts that I listen to. The I talk show not, with John Gruber? I have not offered my complete list. I will not offer my complete list. I'm, I'm, I'm editing So I don't here. want people to think that I don't listen to very many other than the ones I mentioned. I was selective in sharing particular things that go above and beyond. Well, see, now I'm, I'm, I'm a little bit... So, so first of all, I don't think there's any virtue in listening to more podcasts. I, I don't either. Uh, this is, you see, I, I listen to most of those. Like, every, like some of those shows I'll save up. And then if I'm on like a long flight or car ride, I'll listen to like several in a row to get kind of get caught up. And some of them I listen as soon as they drop. And I listen, as you know, at a high pace. Um, but I don't think there's any virtue. However, apropos of what we talked about earlier, I think it's important that we give a fuller spectrum of our tastes now, Joe, lest we be accused of having mm. poor taste because people disagree with a single one. Well, that we and, that, and I'm taking a different strategy, which is I'm just <laughs> assuming I'm, ta- t- I'm taking it as read that I have trash taste. <laughs> Um, because that's the safe bet. Yeah, fair, fair. Yeah, yeah. at least at least with me. Mm-hmm. If you if you take as your default that that you know my taste in in you know topic X or category X of things is pretty pretty lowbrow and lame, you're probably not too far wrong. Mm. What other topics do we have for today? I don't have anything. Do you have any like Thanksgiving things? Any Thanksgiving tips? We're going to talk about no. h- how to cook a turkey. No, no tips. I'm a vegetarian, so I don't eat turkey. But yeah. like, it doesn't mean I can't have tips about it. That's true. I'm happy. You, you for might other know people. all sorts of things about turkey preparation. Yeah, whatever. I mean, I don't. What do you think? You think you brine that thing, Joe? Uh, do you I brine it? I don't know. Do you, do you put it in a smoker? I just said I don't know, man. Do you enjoy every year watching those um, safety videos with people dropping frozen turkeys into deep fryers? I do not enjoy watching them because it is terrifying. Yeah. Um, it, well, I that's why I only enjoy watching... I take watching... no enjoyment at all from seeing people nearly kill themselves. Oh, no, 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 no. That's why I only enjoy watching the, the safety videos that people put out with demonstrations. Ah, I see what you're saying. Which are fascinating. Yeah. yeah. No, actual videos of, uh, are, are usually terrifying. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I can't I can't recommend those. So be safe out there, as Steve Vladek would say. Yeah. he says that quite a lot. Be yeah. safe out there. Well, that's because he's got a national security law podcast. You know, if yeah, it's about you, national security, you got to tell people to be safe. You just mentioned turkey accidents. Ours, is, ours shows oral arguments. Like you know, keep you know maybe keep it civil out there. <laughs> <laughs> or keep, maybe, it, keep it conversational. I don't know. Maybe maybe you know maybe you know argue the heck out of this Thanksgiving. Oh, that's what that's what we should have done. <gasps> I'm gonna hit stop. And we're going to go back and just redo the whole thing. Okay. Because what we need, this, I, our topic should have been how to have civil but serious disagreements with your crazy family members. Well, that would be a very short episode because I, no, <laughs> I have no tips about how to do that. I, you just muddle through. That's my tip. <laughs> oh, boy. I can see Joe with a, um, a family of, let's just say, diverse political opinions getting red in the face redder and redder and redder in the face and eventually just kind of getting up and storming out <laughs> that wouldn't be out of character for you would it i would storming you would just kind of get red in the face and you would just leave huh 
that it it's it never ghost. It would be kind of ghost. It, it's never actually happened. What you just said. No. Um, so, but but I agree with you. It wouldn't be entirely surprising if it had. Hmm. Um. So, how how do we want to? Um. Since this is the first minute of the new recording. Mm. <laughs> how do you want? <laughs> how should we handle this one? I uh, well. I think I'm going to return to my abandoned hope advice. So we are oral argument podcast at gmail.com. That is oral argument podcast at gmail.com. And at if, oral argument on Twitter. And so if you would like to, to leaven the praise or leaven the criticism. Yes. Constructive contributions of any kind. Or, or destructive. Um, <laughs> I actually could, I could do without that. Yeah, that's, yeah, 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 these days, right? So... So maybe constructive, you know, try to try to try to be helpful. Um, that's a generally good thought about life in general, right? Try right. to be, try to be helpful. Uh, we haven't said rate us in iTunes for, in forever. Mm. Like I feel like we've given up on that. Yeah. Although we've gotten some great ratings, and and there, I I love going through there every now and then and seeing reviews that I hadn't seen before, cool. and that's fun. Like so, um, so yeah, rate us on if, iTunes if you have. Um, if if you absolutely love the show, rate us on iTunes. If you don't, yeah, find something else to do. <laughs> Um, Joe, did you hear we're up for a Peabody this year? Uh, I did not. This is, that's a shtick that's kind of gone by the wayside. Yeah. It's true though, right? We, we are, uh, we've been every year and every year they ignore us. We are eligible for a Peabody. And, I guess. Are and we? Are yes, we though? Of, yes. Are we really? Of course. Okay. Yeah. And every year they ignore us. Um, it's always somebody else getting in the, in the limelight. Look, there's so much good stuff out there. Every, I do every not year we're passed anybody up. their Peabody. Well, we're passed up for MacArthur Genius Grants yet again. <laughs> yet again, they choose people who are doing amazing things in the world instead of us. Yeah. So, um, if you would like to help us feel better about that, leave us five star rating on iTunes. <laughs> <laughs> you know, you, there are also innumerable lawsuits with which we have not been served. So I think there's a balance of equities here. I mean, it's true there are some good things that haven't happened. There are also some really terrible things that have not happened yeah. as well. A lot of... So on balance, I think I'm feeling pretty good, actually. A lot of non-punches to the face. As an example. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So on balance, we're doing all right. Yeah. So on that note, happy Thanksgiving to you and yours. <laughs> all right. See ya.